Uh, hey, I'm really excited about today. Uh, you know, a day like this where we're thinking about our families, when we go through the book of Romans, this is one of those times where you just kind of land on a passage, you're like, wow, this is great for families because there are some principles here that I really tried to teach to my children. And I really want to encourage families today. I want to warn you, we're going to start off kind of heavy, all right? But we're going to go, we're going to kind of, you know, it's kind of like a plane. We're going to lift off. And by the time we leave here, you're going to be very, very encouraged, all right, as a family. But you know, about, uh, about probably 12 or 13 years ago, there was a family from Indiana, Kevin and Amy Sharp. Their last name was Sharp. And uh, I'm sorry, Iowa. And they surprised their two children. They had kids ages 12 and seven of seven-day spring break vacation down near Cancun. And they rented a vacation condo through VRBO, and they uh, went and had a, by all accounts, a terrific time. And they called their family back in Iowa, and they told them when they're going to arrive back at the airport, but they never got off the airplane. And so the family obviously got very concerned. They called the American Embassy down in Mexico. The Mexican authorities went to their condo, and they found all four family members uh, dead in their beds. TVs were still on. Uh, they had a uh, carbon monoxide leak there in the room, and their room was filled with these toxic fumes, and all four of those people in the Sharp family uh, passed away in their sleep. One news anchor who was reporting on the story said, it just doesn't cross your mind. Now, I want to ask you to think about this today. When you think about raising a family in the world that we're living in right now, what crosses your mind? Uh, how do I keep my children safe? How do I help my children be successful? How do I help them be happy? How do I help my children be godly? You start thinking about lots of those things. Lots of those things begin to cross your mind. But I want to tell you, there's something that's, that's spreading in our current youth culture, and it's really affecting our children in a huge way. And it's like a slow, toxic leak, and it's silently spreading. You can't really see it, but we have a massive, dangerous issue in our country today. And families who don't realize what's going on until it's too late are going to suffer tremendously because there's something that's suffocating the souls of our kids. The National Institutes of Health says that one out of every three teenagers right now will experiencing, is experiencing some form of crippling anxiety. One out of every three. And if I were to ask people to raise their hands today and you know, just say, you know, how many of you, your anxiety is worse in 2023 than it was in 2019? I bet you every hand would go up. The chronic anxiety begins to lead to some serious mental health challenges, you know, like depression and drug use and suicide. About one in every 10 adults in America suffers from some form of depression, but under the age of 20, that number doubles to one out of every five one of every five. And there again, the depression is an outworking of the anxiety that our kids are feeling. The number of children admitted to hospitals for thoughts of suicide has doubled since 2007. And my little sister can attest to this. Uh, 20,000 people died of overdoses in 2010. Almost 75,000 did in 2017. And many of them are teenagers. I don't have all the answers at all. I don't, I, I don't say that, but I do read about this a lot and it deeply concerns me because in the hearts of so many young people deep in their deep heart, there's like this boiling cauldron of, of uncertainty and, and anxiety and confusion and hopelessness. And it's like this witch's brew is just you know churning on their insides. And the net effect of all this is there's this inner turmoil in the hearts and minds of so many of our kids. 
And look up that word turmoil in the Webster's Dictionary. It means an inner turbulence. To be in a state of confusion, uncertainty, or disquiet. You think about Job. You know, you think about Job's suffering. And in the book of Job, he said this, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. And I know there are probably a lot of people in here today. I know there are a lot of moms here today that are feeling the same way. Absolutely. But so many students, so many kids are feeling the same way. And kids, you know, in, in you know, who are 9, 10, 11, and 12 are reporting incredibly high levels of what I would call toxic anxiety. And there's a deep sense of hopelessness and uncertainty that's just bombarding our kids and our world today. American kids feel like things are spiraling out of control and no one is willing or able to fix those things. And for several years now, it's just felt like it's just been, and I'm quoting one of the students in this interview I saw, it's just one thing after another. There's inflation. There have been 199 mass shootings since January, school shootings, uh, teenagers getting shot for getting the wrong address. You know, you think about the pandemic, impeachments, insurrection, border insecurity, cartels, fentanyl, human trafficking, Ukraine. Uh, you know, I could go on and on and on, bank failures. And so you see so many students today using words like anxious, overwhelmed, burned out, stressed, depressed. Why? Social media and the 24-7 apocalyptic news cycle is having a terrible effect on the hearts and minds of our youngest people. None of us can live under this constant barrage of this fight or flight response, but it is especially hard for people who are younger, haven't learned how to cope yet. They don't have the coping skills or mechanisms or frankly, even the central nervous system that's developed yet to be able to do all this. And so here's what I'm gonna to talk to you about today. We're gonna to be in Romans chapter five. I wanna to talk to you about how to have peace in your heart and also in your home. Peace in your heart and your home. You know, raising kids has never been easy and it's more challenging today than it's ever been. But just because something is challenging doesn't mean it can't be done and done very well. And I, you know, as I look across our church, so many of our parents are doing exceptionally well. And I'm so, so proud. But I have to say <clears throat> that being a successful parent, it requires a great deal of humility and a very teachable spirit. You know, back before I had kids, I was a youth pastor for a long time. And before I had kids, I had four absolute truths about bringing up children. Then I had four kids and I have no absolute truths left. All right, I, I just don't. I mean, it just blew them all out of the water. I remember thinking distinctively, man, I'm, I was just, you know, I, I love being a youth pastor and I was great relations with kids. I thought, man, I'm gonna be a great dad. I'm gonna be the best dad ever. And then when my kids started having all the same problems every other kid had, it was really, really tough. And this is also true of Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man that the world has ever known. And he has three books in your Bible. First of all, when he got married, when he first got married, he wrote Song of Solomon. This is poetic book about romantic love and affection where he says, how beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful your eyes are doves. And she says, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. Isn't that really, really sweet? Okay, it's really, really nice. Then he had children. And when he had children, he wrote Proverbs. Proverbs is the only book in your Bible that is aimed specifically at younger people. And he's a treasure trove of wisdom here he gained from life experience. For example, he starts off the book and he says, my child, listen, when your father corrects you, don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. And then 
His children became teenagers. He wrote Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, <laughs> utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I mean, you know, that's what happened. You know, that's what happened. That's why he wrote that book, because he had kids and teenagers in the house. <laughs> we look around the world, we see the wreck and the ruin, and we wonder, how will our kids ever make it? And I have these conversations all the time now. So many people, like, I'm so worried for my kids. I'm so worried for my grandkids. I have to tell you today, that because of the truth of God's word, if your kids have good theology, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. They really are. Paul wrote a letter to the Romans. It's a description of the power of the gospel, the power that God lets loose among the ruin and the wreckage of humankind. And God has made a way through the death and the resurrection of his son to change everything even our very hearts and minds. Romans chapter five, verses one through five, he says this, therefore, based on the first four chapters, all right, he's been explaining the gospel. Since we have been justified, you might put in parentheses there, declared innocent. That's what that word means, declared innocent. Through faith, our faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. You know, it's no mistake that I named one of my kids hope because this is such an important word. That word hope, by the way, word elpis, it appears 50 times in your New Testament. It's, I don't think it's a stretch to say at all that the purpose of the New Testament is to give hope to the human heart because it's so easy to, to just dive into and just fall into a state of hopelessness, anxiety, and despair and uncertainty. You know, it's been well said, we can live three days without water, we can live 40 days without food. We can only live about a few weeks without hope. We really can. When you have a natural gas or carbon dioxide leak in your home, what do you do? You throw the windows open. You throw the doors open to get the oxygen in because the oxygen will displace the killer. And that's what you want to do in the hearts and minds, the very soul of your children. You have to displace this hopelessness and this turmoil with peace and hope. And at this point in our nation's history, this inner turmoil is toxic to the souls of our children and our kids need oxygen. They need hope. They need peace. And so there are three things I want you to take from this passage today. Number one is this, complete acceptance is what you're offered here. Complete acceptance. We gain the peace of God. Look at verse one. We have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. At first glance, it may not seem like it. That is an incredible statement. You can't just fly over that, all right? Justified through faith. That is a legal decree. It's almost as if in the courtroom, we might say the throne room of heaven, we have broken God's law. We have fallen short of his glory. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are made righteous. We are declared innocent. Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul preaching said this, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. 
a justification or an innocence you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You, For you and me and for your kids, if they know Jesus as their Savior, your guilty sentence has been commuted to not guilty or innocent. Moms and dads, I just have to say this. Number one, the, the most important thing you and I have to do, no matter how old our kids are, we have, to, we have to know that we know that we know that they have Jesus as their Savior. We have to be willing to have that hard talk with our kids. Do you, you know, do, you, do you know that you have Jesus as your Savior? Do you have peace with God? Because when that happens, all of the enmity, all the conflict, the tension in your relationship with God, it's just done away with. It's gone. Ephesians 2.14 says, Christ is the reason we are now at peace. Why? It's no mistake that our kids are falling into the state of turmoil when there's less and less church involvement, church commitment in the youth culture. But because of the tremendous work that Jesus did, we are completely and totally accepted by God. We need to really let that sink in because it has huge implications for our lives. In Christ, we have the assurance that God's disposition toward us is always peace, always peace. And this peace with God becomes the basis basis for your acceptance by God. And we need our kids to understand the gospel, trust Jesus as their Savior, then remind them God loves you. God accepts you, and God delights in you. He has your picture on his refrigerator. He has your report card on his refrigerator, and it's all Fs, but he's very proud of it, all right? He really is. There is nothing tense. There's nothing awkward. There's nothing strained or uncertain in your relationship with God. Your flaws, your faults, your failures are no longer any barrier between you and God. Nothing you can do or not do will make God love you any less or any more. And when we get peace with God, this is very important, moms and dads, that is when we can begin to access the peace of God. When you're granted peace with God, you get full access to God, the throne room of heaven, and then he gives us the peace of God. And that's why Paul says in Philippians chapter four, he says, don't be anxious about anything. You, he's like, you have peace with God. You boldly go there to the throne of grace and you ask God for everything you always you need at all times and always giving thanks. And God's peace, which surpasses all comprehension, is going to guard your heart and mind. In Christ Jesus. So it's really important that our kids have good theology and that they understand you are at peace with God. You are at peace with God. You go into God for everything you want and the turmoil ends and peace begins when you believe that you believe that God has declared you innocent of all charges. The second thing is this, you have a continual access to God and that is where you gain the strength of God. Back in 2007, there was a man named David Klemecki. He's about my age. He took his five-year-old granddaughter, Hannah, on a boat trip on the Kankakee River in eastern Illinois. And they stopped on an island in the middle of the river, and they went for a swim. And the river current swept the girl away from the island, little five-year-old girl. And all she had on her arm were little floaties. David Klemecki dove in the water to try to save his granddaughter. And when they didn't return home, the searchers began scouring the area they looked for two days. Two days later, they found Mr. Klemecki's body. And so they brought in helicopters, they brought in dogs, and they began the search for little Hannah Klemecki. 
Now, the word Hannah, by the way, means grace. All right. Hannah means grace. And they scoured the area with divers and sonar and the helicopter. And the area is wilderness. There are no homes out there, just coyotes and deer basically live out there. And so the search was really, really difficult. About 10.30 a.m. on Friday afternoon, one of the sheriff's deputies was kind of you know, running around through the woods out there, just looking, hoping to find Hannah's body alongside the river. And a little girl walked up to him holding raspberries. She was scratched and bruised. And he said, there's no way. There's just no way. And he said, are you Hannah Klemecki? She said, yeah. They had completely given up hope of finding Hannah alive. And Hannah had grabbed a branch hanging over the water. She had put her, pulled herself out of the river. She spent two nights out there in the woods. She was scratched. She was covered with poison ivy. She had splinters in her feet, but she was okay. The sheriff called Hannah's family. They were grieving her grandfather. They were just waiting for the news that they had found Hannah's body. And when they found out Hannah, little Grace, was alive, the home just erupted in screaming, they said. And Hannah's father, Mike Klemecki, is the senior pastor of New Hope Community Church in Chicago. Isn't that great story? Look at verse two and three. He says, we have gained access by faith into this grace which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see that word gained access right there? It's used to describe someone being ushered into the presence of royalty. It's a verb construction. It says something like this. We have constant, permanent access to the king of glory. Not an interview. It's not a tryout. And it cannot and it will not ever be taken away from you at a later time because of something you did or didn't do. There's never a moment when God says, you know, I'm just so angry. I can't even talk to you right now. You know, that never happens. That never happens. We have total freedom to enter into God's presence and ask anything of him. We do it with thanks, okay? We really do that. And we have the, the right to remain in his presence. And Jesus said, I want you to abide with me. We've been reading that in our home groups in the book of John. Hebrews chapter 10 says, we have complete freedom to go into the most holy place by means of the death of Jesus. And he opened for us a new way through his own body. So let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith. And we are at peace with God. You have access to God, the God of all grace. What does that mean? It means that when you come into God's presence, something is being poured into you. It's the grace of God. It's the strength of God. It's the, it's the peace of God. It's the wisdom of God. All those things are poured into you. That's what it means to have God's grace at work in your life. And one of the most powerful outworkings of God's grace when you're in his presence is hope. And that turmoil, that anxiety begins to subside. And by the way, the word hope, we talked about this last week, the word in the Bible, it's not a word that means like a possibility. You know, the odds are ever in your favor or something like that, or a good chance. Hope, as it is used in the Bible, means a certainty. There's one scholar I read, is called, he said, the best translation of this word would be a happy certainty. I love that so, so much. And it's based upon the words of Jesus. Jesus told his disciples the last night he was with them. He said, if I go to the Father, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, because I live, you will live also. That is the certain future of everyone who's been justified by faith, who is at peace with God, 
And that's what we must have emblazoned on the hearts of our children is that we never lose hope. This world is not our home. This is not the end. There's so much more to life than your lifespan because you have a lifetime that is going to stretch on into eternity. Now, we don't know what our lifespan is going to hold for us, but we know that our lifetime in Christ is going to be infinitely glorious, more than we can ever ask or imagine. And you're at peace with God. God is always at work for you. He's always at work in you preparing you for his glorious kingdom. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man even imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And the third thing that I want you to get from this passage, your kids need good theology. Your kids need good theology. I would really recommend you tell, you know, you know, you might you might pay your kids to memorize this passage. You know, if you, I'll give you twenty five bucks. I'll give you fifty bucks to memorize Romans five one through five. I paid my kids to read the Bible. I know a lot of people who do. All right, I never I never shied away from paying my kids to read the Bible. Confident anticipation. This is where we gain the character of God. Back in two thousand eight, there was a pretty famous psychology professor at Harvard University. His name was Daniel Gilbert, and he made international news back in those days because he spoke at a major conference, and the conference was on happiness, and it was in Sydney, Australia. And he said the trifecta of happiness, most people assume it's three things. It's money, marriage, and children. If you can get those three things in the minds of most people, this is the the way to happiness. And he said, according to scientific research, people in healthy marriages, they are indeed very, very happy. He also said money can buy happiness, but not as much as people think. He said uh, money buys a lot of happiness at first, and then it buys you less and less. And you reach a point in life where money does almost nothing for your happiness. But he did say money will never make you sadder. All right. He's like, somebody says, hey, you know, you know, your 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 grandfather died, he left you a million dollars. You're like, oh man, really? You know, no, it's never like that. But the greatest negative impact on happiness in US and European studies was having children. <laughs> Specifically, though, he said, when kids reach adolescence, age 12 to 16, he said, for most couples when their children hit the teenage years, their personal happiness takes a huge hit. It goes from being pretty high to taking a pretty steep dive. And so they asked the question, does your happiness ever come back up to its baseline? And he said, yeah. And the people at the conference said, when? He said, research shows when the kids leave the house. <laughs> you know, that's when it happens. Now, I've been kind of hard on the teenagers today. I apologize for that. But, you know, in all seriousness, I, I really think I know why this happens. I, I really do. Because I saw some of this, I saw a lot of this as a youth pastor. And it hit me like a brick as a dad. Adolescence is an extremely painful time for our kids. Probably was for most of us. I mean, how, have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Man, I really wish I could go back to seventh grade. Seventh grade was a wonderful time in my life. I'd love to go back. Nobody ever says that. And I don't know if anything is harder for us as parents than watching our children go through pain. And adolescence is a very painful time. And if you're like me, the most helpless feeling I have ever had is just sitting there rubbing the back of one of my kids while they're sobbing or they're weeping. I don't know what to say, you know? I, 
kind of out of I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of out of answers, you know. And you hear all the advice, you know, just be there for them, just you know, be there, and just they need to know that you love them, but you want to say something to make the hurt go away. You got cut from the team, didn't get a date to the dance, friends went out without them, failed an important test, they had to eat alone at lunch, they broke up with someone, terrible acne, a harsh teacher a harsh coach. Oh, here's my favorite. Sitting, walking down the hallway while your kids are sitting at home alone on a Friday night. And you want to stick your head in and encourage them or say something, but I got nothing, you know? Stick your head in. Hey, honey, I love you. Love you too, dad. You know, what else do you do? What else do you do? But our kids need good theology because trouble is going to come into their lives. And they have peace with God. And when you have peace with God, the relationship changes from judge to father. So, so key. You see, fathers comfort their children. Fathers also discipline their children. That's what genuine love does. Genuine love always does both. Parents who love their kids will comfort their kids and discipline their kids. And God is sovereign. God is omnipotent, all right? He sees everything. He can do everything. And so God is using the hard times, the painful times in our kids' lives to strengthen them and prepare them for a bright and blessed future. Our kids need to understand this. Psalm 92, David said this, the people you discipline, Lord, are truly happy, giving them relief from troubling times. Your faithful love steadies me, Lord. When my anxieties multiply, your comforting calms me. There's a very, very powerful life principle here that I believe we need to teach our kids. You don't want to teach it in the moment your kids are in pain, all right? You know, hey, let's turn to Romans 5 while you're sitting here crying. No, no, don't do that, all right? But sometime soon, as soon as possible, or sometime soon after the painful event, Romans chapter 5, look at verses 3 and 4. It's called the golden chain of spiritual maturity. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. The word suffering, by the way, in the original language, the Greek, it's a really strong word. It doesn't mean just minor inconveniences. It means real life trials and troubles. The word actually comes from a root word that means pressure. It's the pressures of life. And every Christian has experienced time when the pressures of life seem so overwhelming. And when you're inexperienced in life, these pressures can be particularly hard to understand. And young people naturally wonder, where is God? Why is God letting me down? Does he care? If God is good, why is he allowing so much evil to triumph? Is God punishing me? Is God mad at me? But suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. God is able to use this imperfect world and bring about a perfect result using the pain and pressures of life to mold you and me into the perfection 
of Jesus himself. Romans chapter 8, it's a wonderful scripture. Many of us know it by heart. Romans 8, 28, we are assured and we know that all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose, but we don't often go to verse 29. For those whom he knew and loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning to be molded into the image of his son. God is able to take this imperfect world and mold you and me into the perfect image of Jesus. Now, I tell you, I would really rather have God just like when I'm asleep, you know, kind of sprinkle some Jesus pixie dust on me while I'm asleep, you know, and like magically change me. You know, I get up on a cold January day and, and Melanie says, the car won't start. And I say, it's okay, honey, it's all good. Whoa, I'm just like Jesus, you know? I'd love for that to happen. It doesn't happen like that. It really doesn't. I have to go out there. I have to go out there, start the car on a cold January day, get the battery cables out. You know, I'm feeling pretty sorry for myself, but God meets me in that moment and then my life begins to change. This is God's way of working in you and me and our children. A runner has to run to exhaustion to gain endurance. Soldiers go to boot camp to prepare for battle. Christians go through pain and pressure to gain the glory of Christ and prepare for eternity. And so when the pains and the pressures come, we, we say soberly, reverently, Lord, I know you love me. I know that you carefully measure every pain. You have a loving purpose to accomplish in every pressure. And I trust your love in everything that you allow. By the way, that word character is a word from the word of metallurgy. It's metal that's been through the fire. And it's been melted over and over again and the dross taken off the top to get out all of the impurities. And hope comes to your heart this way. When you understand God has taken the impurities out of your life and you can sense the spirit of God working in your life and, and, and changing your character, your very character. And you and others see something emerging from you. And it's a, more of the, the character of Jesus. It's the work of God. In Philippians chapter two, Paul said this about Timothy, a young man. He said, you know, I have no one else like Timothy. He truly cares for you. Other people are interested only in their own lives, but you know the kind of person Timothy is, his tested and proven character. That word tested there again means trouble. You know, he's been put through lots of trouble and trials and it's proven his character. And when our kids are enduring hardship, suffering and pressure, they need the assurance that God is indeed working in their lives and he will keep on working until he can look at you and me and say, it is finished. And that's why James says, James chapter one, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if you had to pin down the one thing about Timothy's character that really stood out, what was it? He laid aside his personal wants, his personal desires, and he focused on the needs of others. Timothy was a very compassionate young man, very resourceful, very resilient. And he went to prison for the gospel. He traveled all over the world preaching the gospel. And Timothy's character became more loving, more resilient, more strong as time passed. And look at verse five, where Paul says, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When God is at work in our souls, what's the first thing we should note? As evidence for God is truly at work in a human soul. 
The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, then joy, then peace, then patience. That word patience in the Greek, macrothumia, which means uh, endurance. The King James Version, I like so much better, long-suffering, long-suffering. Hope does not disappoint because we know God himself is preparing me for glory and he's using the pressures of life to do it. And you just kind of sit back and you realize, I'm changing. I'm, I'm, I'm growing and it's the work of God's spirit. And so if God is working in me, that means that God has something for me in eternity. And that gives you hope. It gives you hope for the future. There is more to life than what I can see, touch, and feel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul said, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness. In other words, your grit, your grit in all the hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdoms, his kingdom. And our kids need good theology. They need to, they need to be able to have this kind of conversation with moms and dads where you can say to your kids, I know this is really hard. I know this is really, really painful. I know you're feeling the pressure, but I am certain that God is doing a work in you. And I am certain that God is molding and shaping you for a bright and blessed future in this life and in the next, and in the next. I want to end with this today. I want to ask you to think about your child's life as a table, all right? Call this a success table, all right? There are four key components when you look at this passage. There are four key components that every child needs to have in order to be a success. Now, the first one is not mentioned in this passage, but we all know it's true, and that's competence, okay? That's one leg of the table. Uh, kids need competence. You know, we, we as parents, you know, we'll, we'll spend a lot of time, you know, getting our kids, you know, to really do good in school, and we'll, you know, get them into, you know, get them with good coaches and things like that. And you see so many parents striving so hard, using all of their time and energy, trying to give their kids competence, you know, skills and, and talents, you know, something that you can use to market themselves and, and make a living. Very important, very important. But can I just show you this, that if all you do as a parent is focus on competence for your kids, what happens when you're not there anymore? That's it. They can't hold themselves up. This is happening to so many kids. Moms and dads are so focused on one thing and the kids can't stand on their own. But you know, here's what's going to happen. Went to graduation for my daughter yesterday from the greatest university in America, Texas Tech University. There's so much talk about community service hours, you know, and, you know, going out and, you know, serving others and being concerned about others. And so compassion, we just saw, you know, love, you know, from the, from the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Compassion, very important. And you have, you have two legs down at that point. And, you know, it's so great when your kids have competence and they have compassion. It really is. It's fantastic. It's a good thing. But y'all know what's going to happen if I let this go. <laughs> All right? It's not enough. It's not enough. Your kids have to have more than that. Now, the world around them, is going to try to give them competence and compassion. But they're going to stop there. They're going to stop there. Moms and dads, because we love Jesus, we believe the word, our kids need good theology. What's number three? Number three, 
is our kids have to have conviction. You see people who are people who are successful. They are people with conviction. They have a real keen sense of what is right and what is wrong. And they base it upon the revealed truth of the word of God. And if our kids have competence and compassion and conviction, then they're well on their way to being a success in life. Now this table might, is it going to do it? Yeah. Yeah. It will almost stand on three legs. <laughs> All right. It'll almost stand. Did not quite. All right. What's the last one? It's the one we just saw. Moms and dads, we have to be willing to help our kids gain character. And once they have character, those four things working together in synergy, that is when your kids can go and stand on their own. That's when your kids are going to make it. They're going to be okay. So yeah, competence is important. Keep working on that. Absolutely. Compassion. Yes, definitely. Convictions. That is missing in the world today. We don't teach kids convictions out in the world. We say everybody's right about everything. No, 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 no. Now, it doesn't mean we are rude or jerks about this stuff, but we do have convictions, and our kids need convictions. And we have to be able to say in our homes, you know what? Stealing is wrong. Lying is wrong every time you do it for whatever reason. We have to model those things for our kids as well. But then character. When our kids are going through trials and pressures, we come alongside them. We help them understand this is God working through you. And we, we, we love our kids. We support our kids when they're hurting and when they're suffering. And we're just constantly praying that God would do a deep work in their character so that they can stand on their own when the time comes. I read a great, great story this week. The USS Astoria was a cruiser during World War II. And in August of 1942, got an engagement, got an engagement with a Japanese carrier, a Japanese destroyer, and it was sunk. And there was a, a, a single a signalman, third class, named Elgin Staples, and he was swept overboard uh, when his ship started to go down. And he reached up, he had a narrow life belt, it was kind of an inflatable life belt, and he pulled the cord, and the life belt you know, blew up, little canister blew up, and he was floating, he was safe. He was in the water for five hours. And once the battle was over, the Americans won, and another destroyer came and picked him up, and he got taken up, he, got, he, he was put on deck of that next carrier. Well, then they ran into another Japanese ship, got into another battle. That ship also got sunk. He ran, he grabbed that belt that he still had that was still blown up, it's still full of air, he snapped it on, and his ship went down. Once again, he was in the water, and he was wounded in that engagement. And that belt helped and kept him afloat. And when he was rescued again, after spending eight hours in the water that time, he was taken back to a hospital, and eventually he was shipped home. And he looked down at that belt that had saved his life two times, and it was manufactured in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. And there was a five-digit registration number right there on that belt. And he just, you know, didn't really think about it, but he committed that number to memory. 
And he got home. He's talking to his mom. And he was telling his mom about the belt. His mom worked at the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company there in Akron, Ohio. And she said, what was the registration number on that belt? And he told her that number because he had memorized it. She got really emotional. She said, son, we make those belts at the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company in Akron, Ohio. And we all have a five-digit number for quality control. And she said, the belt that saved your life was my belt. It came off of, it came from me. Isn't that awesome? And here's what I want you to see, moms, is that love saves lives. Love saves lives. And so moms and dads, we have to join God's work in our kids' hearts and minds. We love our kids through the hard times. We develop their character and we develop their convictions, the compassion, the competence, and they will be a success. But at the end of the day, moms, I just want you to always remember, your kids need truth, they need good theology, and your love will save your kids' lives. Truly will. Let's bow our heads together for a moment this morning. If we could just kind of move our hearts Godward for a moment, I want to ask you to just think for a moment with me about what it means to have hope in your heart. Think about your kids being in turmoil because of the uncertainty, the confusion, the pain, the pressure of just life in this wrecked, ruined world that we live in. And I just want to ask all the parents, moms and dads this morning, just go before the Lord today and say, Lord, in a new way, would you just show me how to really love my kids to the truth, to love my kids, to, to believe in you, to trust in you, to know you, to walk with you, to abide in you, to be at peace with you. Just ask the Lord to give you a new vision of how that could happen because our kids need it so much in this hopeless, uncertain world that we're living in today. So I'm going to be quiet for a moment. I want to ask you to go before the Lord and do that today. Lord, we do love you so much. Thank you so much, Father, for every mom that's here. And Father, I just come before you on their behalf because Lord, I know that being a mother has never been more challenging. And Lord, I know there are some moms here today who are weary and tired and confused. And Lord, they, they themselves are filled with, filled with turmoil and uncertainty just because of the sheer weight of the task of being a mom in this world we live in today. And so, Father, I just pray for that mom here today who's discouraged, whose heart is in turmoil. I pray, Lord, you'd fill her heart with new hope today. And Lord, just bring that turmoil to a place where it would subside, where your peace could replace the toxin of uncertainty and hopelessness. I pray that you give oxygen to her soul today. Lord, we just love you so much. We just pray that you just use us as a church family, Lord, to, to love our moms well, to love our children well. And Lord, just be in community together around our kids. We pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen.